0: You can listen wherever you get your podcasts, and if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.
1: Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Recovery. I... Podcast for folks who are thinking about a vocational change in and around ministry, usually. Although we found that a lot of people that have nothing to do with ministry have become our listeners. And that's a lot of fun. And so we're so glad you're here. I am Sarah Heath and this is
2: Justin Gentry. And we are very happy to have you with us today.
1: Yeah. So this is another one, uh, one of these episodes that is just Justin and I. And this is coming out of our Patreon community that Logs in and joins together on our Discord. A lot of the conversation is around, well, what do I do for a resume? Because ministry is often based on interview and not as much resume. I mean, at, at some point, you do have to give in a resume, but the resume that you might be giving into a ministry setting is very different than a re- uh, resume you'd be giving within the corporate world. So, folks have been helping each other on Discord. We're so grateful for that. But we wanted to sort of, this is our like practical episode. How do we resume a resume?
2: (laughs) How, how, How do you convert your experience as a minister into something that makes sense to someone who is not a minister and has never hired a minister and is not looking for a minister?
1: And actually, let's just for fun, friends, if you have a resume that's a ministry resume, if you could just read it to your friends that have never been part of a church just for fun, just to see how they react.
2: It is. It is an enlightening exercise for sure.
1: Like the idea of I launched a discipleship program. I led Bible studies. I see, and I've got on mine. I taught a class in Israel, which sounds like I might be someone who believes in Zionism. You know, <laughs> sort of thing. Like mm-hmm. it's a very. Yeah. But it's like no, I taught. I that's not what I just think there's so much to be said about how do we translate so things don't get lost in translation. What do you think is the funniest thing that was on your resume, Justin?
2: Um, I think uh, pioneered first impressions ministry. I think oh. that was the one that I had on there as, as a, you know, I, I, I actually the last three churches I was at, I ended up getting the job of, you know, managing the, the greeters, like honestly, but I, but it was first impressions in the sense of like, all right, let's let's try to figure out how to make this place welcoming. Like, because it's not just like greeters. It's like, you got a pile of papers over here. And that's gross. Uh, How do we
1: hospitality is what it's
2: hospitality. Yeah. But first impressions was I don't know, it was the buzzword at the time, whatever.
1: First impressions. I love it. I led the discipleship pathway.
2: Oh, nice.
1: Yeah, I visioned and executed the discipleship pathway.
2: Mm, That that sounds
1: like a cult. Yeah, 100%. 100%. <laughs> yeah, so that was on my resume uh, or is on my resume. And I think, you know, I almost feel like an exercise should be. So I went on to LinkedIn today, looked at a bunch of jobs, and thought there's one for a, an app that I absolutely think is great for mindfulness. And I was like, if I were going to translate my resume, for what I've done, I actually have done everything within this. And I don't know how I would do that.
2: I think it, it's a hard process because, you know, even if you, even if you left ministry in like a sour way, like you got kicked out or there was some kind of corruption or something, you know, like, even if it's like, oh, I'm never going back, right? Like there's still a lot of your personal value tied into the things that you did and the things that you built and you created that were, that were good that you were proud of. And, and, but it's, but I think there is this realization that like, I spent so much time building this over here and they're not looking for that. You know whoever they are in the corporate world. that's and so that 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 is a difficult process to begin to kind of tear down what you've done and try to create a resume that reflects who you are, but in a different language. Um, and in a lot of ways is learning a different language, uh, which is can be it can be difficult for sure.
1: Well, I want to invite people to not think about it as like starting over because I think that was really last year as I was preparing to leave my community. I was my parents uh, came to stay with me and because I've worked in ministry for all of my adult career life. I am really wealthy. And so I live in a very small place. (laughs) Uh, I live in a, And also, I just I choose to live simply, but I live in a one bedroom condo. And so my parents were in my bedroom and I was just sleeping on the couch. And my mom came out. It was like the night before it was my last night. And I, you know, all of the overwhelm, you know, and I was just sitting there. I was like, what am I going to do with my life? because it felt like starting at ground zero like just starting at I'm a middle-aged person who's going to try to figure out how to live in a world that I know very little about in some ways and I've been really successful in one other world and so my mom said Sarah you have 16 years of valuable experience for the world and my mom and my dad have never worked in church settings so for them you know they don't see the barriers that I I want to invite us to not think that we're starting at baseline and that there are like a lot of the folks in our discord community which is simply just our like imagine like I didn't know what it was either by the way it was like it's like AOL AIM kind of meets slack
2: a little bit but not as annoying
1: no not as annoying at all but it helps uh, a lot of the conversations lately have been like hey I left the job but now I got to do the thing but we want to make sure that you don't skip the emotional work of recognizing that changing your resume can feel very,
0: Mm -hmm. well,
1: you know, this poor Justin, what was it like two months ago we were supposed to record, but I was working on my resume and I just shut down and we didn't even record.
2: We were just like, okay, so we're, we're going to have a little impromptu coaching session here, Um, (laughs) which was fine. It's fine. You know, that's the nice thing about working with friends is you can just do that. And it is, it is. Yeah, I think that is a great mindset shift to realize I I have something valuable. I think mm-hmm. if, if you can walk into the resume writing process, the interview process, the job hunting process with the mindset of I have something valuable to offer, it might look different, I might be a non traditional candidate, but everyone's a non traditional candidate, we've just gotten through a pandemic and massive layoffs, and people returning to work and people having unemployment. So gaps in the resume, weird stuff. I, You know, if, if you're an HR person that isn't used to seeing weird stuff on resumes, like you're probably not very good at HR. That's just going to be my human resource. That's what that means, by the way, in case you're really out of the corporate world, which is fine. Yeah, you're... You, this is a good time, I guess, is what I'm saying. To yeah, it jump is a good ship time. because a lot of people are jumping chip, a lot of people are changing. We're in the middle of you know the, the great resignation, which isn't really people leaving jobs and working all together, it's just resigning for something better, a lot in a lot of ways. So, well, and I just
1: time. yeah, I just watched a couple of TED Talks that my friends sent me that were about folks who are multidisciplinary. People who are interested in more than one thing because the world has always said we're supposed to be interested in one thing and it gave all these examples and ways to think about those of us who have done different things and how to sort of be able to translate that to people who are just sort of single minded focused and i think that's kind of what from what i've heard from all of our listeners that are part of the community is people are afraid like in some ways i've done too much that it feels like it's all over the board it feels like when i Say all the things that I was doing. It will be hard to figure out what kind of job fits me perfectly. And so, one of the things you said, and I think that's important, is we will sort of talk about the practicality. Is it is this okay if we do it this way? Of resume and then interview. Does that feel like a good flow? Yeah. One of the things you said, I think is really helpful, is read the job description several times and then really highlight where your things you have done actually fit in and don't be afraid to apply for things that don't feel like the perfect fit.
2: For a couple of reasons, you need to do that. One, if it's a larger corporation, they're probably getting thousands of resumes. I think you just need to accept that. And they're going to do keyword searches of the resumes to bring them to the top. So you're at the mercy of an algorithm. That's the world we live in. And that sucks. Like, I I do think it sucks.
1: And it's not the world you came from because you probably interviewed for a church where people had some foreknowledge of you in some way. Some people. Some some people did.
2: Or you're one of a dozen good candidates, not hundreds or thousands. Right. So read that description and use that language to craft your resume. This does mean you probably need to make you need to make like a baseline resume. But then every time you apply, you probably need to go over it and maybe tweak a couple words here and there just to match up with what they're saying. If they're saying if they're saying we want someone who's highly organized, make sure you include highly organized somewhere in your resume. You know, but I said I'm really good at managing the mess or whatever. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of synonyms or but like no, change it to match their words because that's going to help. And also it shows that you actually read the job description. Having a mastery of the job description in both your resume and in your interview. Is really going to help you. Whereas I think in ministry, you can kind of go like, I know what a senior pastor does. I've done this for 10 years. You know, I think it's okay, back up a second. Don't make any assumptions. Make sure you're very aware of what they're asking for.
1: I think one of the folks said, as we were discussing this in the community, which I think is great, before you even launch into writing a resume, sit down and write all the things you've done, like all the different things you've done so that you have some vocabulary to pull from. So for instance, if you were a youth pastor, what is a youth pastor? What does that include? It includes organizing events. So event organizing, it includes maintaining a budget, but that like all those things that you don't think it includes, like, believe it or not, conflict management,
2: conflict management, risk management, risk Risk assessment,
1: right? It involves intergenerational communication. These are all fancy words, guys. But I think it's helpful for you to think through what have I actually done and what is that going to translate into? And then I would friends, if we have any resume professionals or HR people, please reach out to Justin and I, because when I say, yeah, we would love to interview. And we'd also love to make you a resource for our community because they've been so great with each other but I think it, it would be helpful to have even more voices in this.
2: And so I think that that's kind of step maybe two or three is like combing a job description. But yeah, I I do think that is, that is a very good skill because honestly, I think, you know, with the person that was saying I've done too much, I think that a lot of people don't believe how much pastors end up doing, Right. you know, because obviously, okay, they give a speech every day and they manage a church, but like, I also did electrical work. I also I remodeled rooms. When I didn't know how to do something, I Googled it. That's, that's entrepreneurial. That's a self-starter. Problem that's solver. Problem solver. You know, that is...
1: Facilities management.
2: Facilities management. That is, can work independently. You know, I, I don't require my boss to hand hold me because I have Google. If you're like, oh, it says you need to have Excel knowledge. It's fine. It's fine. Just say you do. You can Google that. You will, you will be okay at Excel in 30 minutes, trust me. Uh, yeah, I think there are some things and that can, I think pastors, if you're a good pastor, and I know everyone listening to this was, you have a lot of integrity, you have a lot of honesty, you have a lot of, you know, a desire to be correct. So, I, but I do think what that can do, and I'm not saying don't be ethical. What that can do though is you can read a job description and be like, oh, they want, they want Excel experience and I don't have that, so I'm going to move on and you shut yourself down over that, you can learn Excel. What they can't teach you is character. And honestly, a good employer is actually looking for people that are of good character and have good qualities. Most things you can learn. I didn't know anything. I'm a project manager. I work with a couple of different project management programs. Uh, One of them is Smartsheet, which is a little bit like Excel, except on steroids. I didn't know anything about it. I knew nothing about it. By the Um, way,
1: it is literally my favorite thing all the time to think about the fact that you have ADHD and you're a project manager, because to me, what that says is that you work so hard to overcome your own chaos that you've learned. It's so funny how sometimes the the thing that we think is our weakness, our ability to keep going through that thing makes it a strength. Does that make sense? Because you've had to, for you to do the schooling that you did, for you to run the programs that you, you had to learn skills to manage chaos. So someone who has ADHD is a great project manager because they've learned how to do that just to exist in the world.
2: And and when chaos arises and it does, I am not the kind of project manager that's like, oh my God, there's a fire. You know, it's like, okay, this Focus was expected.
1: Switched. Yeah.
2: <laughs> let us, let us solve this problem. Now I got my hit of dopamine today.
1: <laughs> yeah. Whenever <laughs> there's like a chaos, you're like, oh, here it is.
2: All right. This is what I live for. Yeah. It, it, but it's, it is one of those things that's like, If you have used a computer extensively, you can probably say you have computer skills and just move on because you can learn a lot of these things. I would not say that you should disqualify yourself over those small technical type skills because really what it comes down to is people are looking for, employers are looking for people who are honest, that have integrity, they're going to stick with the job. I think that's really going to surface pretty quickly for you. If if you can get your foot in the door and don't worry about those like small technical things, you can learn that, you know, YouTube in an afternoon, you can learn most of what you need to know.
1: Yeah. So I wanted to share from our community. They reached out to each other. Someone was writing a resume like I don't know what language to use. And so I'm going to read some of this if if that's okay. I'm going to do it anonymously because these are our community members. But this is what she wrote. Managing a variety of events, projects and timelines organizing multiple calendars, strategic planning, meeting facilitation, recruitment, and employee and volunteer supervision, scoping, planning, and executing risk issue mitigation, manage and facilitate meetings with leadership and stakeholders. I love that, by the way. Mm-hmm. Experience in innovation problem solving, increased congregational vitality. That one might be difficult for people to... Translate develop and maintain reports, support staff and volunteers in meeting deadlines, effective communicator and speaker, producing original written material and content, develop and maintain relationships with 13 key partners and create opportunities for collaboration, provide pastoral counseling, maintain a spiritual pulse, support in emergency situations and serve as a community liaison. She killed it. Okay,
2: that's yeah, that's that is that is a good bullet point of skills that are truthful. They're honest, but they're also in business speak.
1: This one. He's brilliant. Okay. also, we should could just for a moment talk about how brilliant this community is. At some point, we'll just let them take over the podcast because they're fantastic.
2: That's really the dream. Honestly, (laughs) the
1: dream is just to be like these people are who (laughs) you you hear from. Take the mic. So good. It's not that we're like falsely humble. It's just like these people are way better than they're great. (laughs) Yeah. So this is what his resume collaboratively led a multi-generational community in the northwest suburbs of Chicago as a public communicator, education designer, conflict mediator, workshop presenter, and crisis counselor. Stop it. Practice empathetic listening to support and empower community members to problem solve and make positive change. Led listening sessions to help the community make organizational and missional decisions. Vocationally trained to listen to others carefully. In these roles, I have had a front row seat to the human experience, honing my ethnographic skills. I'm an experienced leader, clear communicator, and harmonious teammate. That's good. I would hire both of these people.
2: Uh, yeah, um, Yeah, for sure.
1: What I love is that these people posted this in a direct response to someone asking, what do I do? And then this person responded, thank you so much. I'm actually looking forward to rewriting my resume today. So there's something that we should talk about, and you and I have talked about it. It's there actually has to be that mental, I need to get excited about my potential. And we understand you're also tired right now. Everyone is, but you're also leaving something If, if this, if you stayed along around this long, you know, 20 minutes within a conversation, you clearly are interested in this. Like, what does it look like to write a resume as sexy as resume writing (laughs) as a cop topic is you clearly there's something, but beyond just the like meat and bones of it, like we understand that this is a painful thing in some ways to do.
2: Yes. It also, because of the way that church work, is so intertwined with you, your your person, and if you have a family, your family. And whereas corporate work is, you know, obviously, I think a lot of corporations are doing better at caring for the person. I the job I'm in currently, the company, at, at very least, for for reasons of worker retention, seems to care about us personally, and I think that that is that is coming through more. But it's still, it's not the same. It's not like. I put the fact that I have a family on my cover letter, you know, even though there are plenty of churches that are looking for a quote unquote family person, which is not legal, but still done. So, but my my job doesn't necessarily do this. So there's a lot of like just little mindset shifts like that. It's like that can be difficult because you're not bringing your whole self to this job, whatever it is. No. Uh, you're not, this is not going to be your life. And that's probably a good thing but it's going to require a change and it's going to require some reevaluating how you communicate what you did. I dedicated my entire heart and soul to this job. That actually doesn't do too bad on a ministry resume, but there might be some people that raise their eyebrows in a corporate setting.
1: Right. I think, you know, we you and I when we started this whole thing, transparency was really important for both of us. Like that I am in one part of the experience and you are in another. And I will be honest, this has been my week of what is my purpose? Right? So I want to just for a minute, pause and say, if you feel a little bit lost because you're not sure what your purpose is, because you've put your vocation and your purpose in the same bucket, like I hear you. <laughs> yes. I get. And, and even if you know beyond know that it was the right decision for you, I want to say you're still going to feel it and you're not alone in it.
2: And you're going to get confused too. It, you know, I, I I will say, too, there are probably plenty of you that when Sarah was reading off some of those resume things, I actually pulled up one of my resumes, I could lift off similar bullet points. There are probably part of you, like little bits of your soul might have started dying a little, or you started to go like, oh, I don't, mm, I don't like, there's that kind of like internal, "Mm, I don't like that. I think that is probably because you have tied so much of your purpose and vocation together, or you've tied so much of your life's mission. And I'm not going to be like one of those soulless people that work for money. (laughs) I'm going to be one of those people that works for, you know, for God.
1: For meaning.
2: For meaning. For pure meaning. My Enneagram for people I love you very much. We see you. We see you. And and I, I mean, and that's even like someone who was an Enneagram seven that thought like a desk was going to be my chains that was going to drag me into the ocean and kill me. You know, <laughs> turns out that's not the case. And so I think there is that initial kind of like, uh, and you've you've got to start detangling those things internally to go, okay, this this is how I support my family. This is how I fundraise for my life. This is how I meet people in my community. And I think that and don't make it your you don't need to make it your ministry you know, these people can just be your friends and you, that might be the best thing for you or and just you might your feel coworkers. Uncomfortable with it,
1: and it's okay to feel uncomfortable with it.
2: Yeah, it, it it's okay. I, and I think a skill that I think good ministers have, this was something that Rachel Held Evans said, and I don't what some book somewhere that's always stuck with me is that a pastor is the person that goes first. Mm. And, and I've still retained a lot of that in myself, but I, I think you know, this is a journey that you're gonna to have to step out and be someone who kind of goes first and steps into that vulnerable place and is okay with that and learns from it. And and but you've been doing that already, is what I'm trying to very roundaboutly say. This no, is just you're doing this. it in a different setting. And it's going to be it's going to be weird. There was an interview I did if we want to transition a little bit to interviewing. Yeah, let's talk
1: about interviews cuz both of us have had interesting in- interview experiences.
2: This was an interview I did. I was fresh out of ministry, like I was still in shock, I think, because I I'm not you can go back to the episode where I tell my story, but I was basically told like you've got like a week. And I thought I was going to have like much longer than that so i immediately start putting out resumes i'm going to temp agencies and i'm in this interview i don't remember what it was for it was just in this like blank beige corporate room and you know she's asking like what are your skills and i'm 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 just in shock and i'm so i'm like mumbling i'm i'm a good communicator and a good public speaker and as i'm saying it i'm like you're not really coming off that way justin <laughs> like, she's like staring at me <laughs> like and so i'm like i'm a good i'm mumbling i'm a good communicator and I'm clearly getting you this, to trust
1: me. I'm better than this. I'm
2: better than this. I'm a good public speaker. And it was like this deadpan delivery. That's just emotionless. And I remember she looked at me and there was this like, like it was probably only a half second, but it felt like an eternity. Pause. And she had this like little pinch. She's like, okay, <laughs> like we'll just write that down that you're good at public speaking. And you're personable, even though nothing about this is telling me that. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. It was just like, is one of those things where you feel like you're failing, you know you're failing, but you're like, I can't stop. We're just in this ride together. I'm not getting this job. And and that's okay too. Like not, you're not going to get every job and some days are going to be on, some days you're going to be off.
1: And I think that's something that I'm having to reconcile with, like as someone who, you know, really has unintentionally tied my worth to my ability to perform, right? So- if we've uh, talked about Enneagram and Enneagram three, like what I produce is my value. And I that's been deconstructed over the last year. And now I'm playing around with the idea of what would it look like to interview for a job that I wasn't going to get. And so I think it's good to interview a lot. And I think it's good to like, yeah.
2: you You gain those skills. And I think that you learn what you're interested in. There was a uh, couple jobs that I, I started the interview real strong. And then halfway through, it was like, I don't really want this job. I, I realized that now I was, I was pulled in by a job description or like now that I've met these people, I realized I don't want it. And deciding that in the moment and not being a not being a jerk about it and like, all right, I'm done. See ya. You might need to do that, but just understanding, okay, I I'm okay. Not I'm okay. Letting this be experience to build for the next thing. I'm gonna give the best interview I can, even though I know I'm not gonna have this job. I don't know. Or how. yeah,
1: I'm gonna turn it down. I was just thinking about one of my funniest job interview stories because we don't really technically interview for jobs, right? As elders in the United Methodist Church, but we we kind of do. So a very large church in our denomination from another state was I did not realize courting me. I didn't know. I'd spoken at several events at this church, unique for them. They hadn't had a lot of women do that and so they were very proud of themselves for that and in their elder board meetings uh like in their it wasn't really an elder board in their lead pastor meetings because there were several lead pastors because they have one campus but with like a like kind of like Saddleback has like one like this is our hip this is our millennial this is our boomer Mm -hmm. like you know so but they don't use that language they use other language for it so there was this really cool venue they were trying to create and they were looking for the perfect lead pastor for that so, the lead pastor of this huge church calls me and says, This is, uh, this is, just, uh, sorry if this is trauma activating for anyone. God has really mm. made it clear <laughs> to us that you yeah. are the leader for this community. As you've been speaking, all of us have just really felt like God's hand is on this. And we just want you to consider what it would mean for you to be the first lead female which by the way guys feeds into a couple of things in my life Mm -hmm. a being a pioneer b being able to like show that women can can lead c that's probably going to be a significant amount of money and so like oh that would feel kind of good and so they like had this whole conversation but you know where you're just like what you're telling like we just you know, God has sort of put this on our hearts. Well, Mm -hmm. then someone did a background check on me and turns out I am very LGBTQIA affirming. This church is not. So they called back and they were like, God has (laughs) let us know. (laughs) God has
2: revealed to us.
1: (laughs) So, uh, So they backtracked God, which was funny. Do you, Sarah, would you talk about gay marriage from the pulpit and I said well I don't often talk about any marriage but I don't call it gay marriage I just call it marriage and then sometimes that happens to be between there's not a difference between like gay marriage and marriage like, is just marriage
2: it's a marriage
1: right correct also I was like I don't really preach on those things it's not really like but like if something came up or if someone asked me direct like or like if if there was like an event going on like in the voting or whatever, like. It's going to come up in my sermons, like, or someone just Googles me. I don't know how to tell you. You can't wipe. I guess a church that big probably could wipe my past history. They could scrub you. They could. But it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, this is bananas that you think, like, you can say, oh, God was calling you to this. And then all of a sudden, God's not calling you to this. And then I never heard from them again. I haven't spoken at that church since.
2: I had an interview at a large, oh, I was United Methodist Church, actually. One of the biggest United should, Methodist churches. Oh,
1: we should um, sidetrack, talk yeah. about which churches. I wonder if his name.
2: On. Yeah, could be. And yeah, it was a similar situation where I got very far in the interview process. Things were going great. Like we're calling each other by first names. You know, this is like we're we're, we're gelling. And he's like, hey, we have this online assessment that we need you to fill out. Like or a strength
1: that, finders.
2: Yeah, similar to that. Yeah. Like, yeah, like a strength finder. And it wasn't quite that. It was like kind of before that took off, but it was something like that. And so you do that, you're fine. You know, it was very much like you are getting this job. Just this is a hurdle you have to do. So I filled the thing out and he called back and was like, yeah, um, thanks for the interview. But we're going to have to. Uh, we're going to, you know,
1: we're going in a different we're direction. We're going in
2: a different direction. I was like, is the it spirit because spirit is
1: it? blowing in a different direction? And
2: then and then I asked him, I was like, is this because of the assessment? He's like, I can't really disclose that. I was like, oh, OK. I was like, can I see the results of the assessment? Like, I can't disclose that. I was like, uh, <laughs> OK. <laughs> it was this very strange experience of, yeah, being so like, we're, I'm getting this job. Like, I can feel it. And then, nope, not at all. This isn't going to happen.
1: OK, so the truth is, is in the corporate world, you're not going to have that. You might be ghosted. But it's not going to have that same – no one's going to come after you unless it's like the firm or you're working in television, uh, which I can tell my story of that. But no one is going to come at you like, you're the best thing. You are what God has ordained yeah. for this area.
2: You're not going to have that.
1: Until you're not.
2: Yeah, that's not going to happen to you. And yeah, the church world church world is very strange. I mean, there, I had an interview experience that was – very positive in the church world and I was thought for sure I was going to get it. And then they, they jumped on me for being LGBTQ affirming and also for allowing for divorce in cases of abuse. That was another thing oh. that they got really hung up on. They really wanted me to granularly define how I would determine if there was abuse going on. And I was like, that is nope. That's not my That's job. That's
1: not
0: really a political issue. That, just that is, is not my is, job.
2: Uh, nope. I, I'm, I'm their pastor. That is not my job. Nope. <laughs> like
0: you can listen wherever you get your podcast. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.
2: Yeah, those are those wild stories. And you don't have, you're not going to have those wild stories. Those are going to be weird interviews, for sure.
1: Oh, for sure. Like, my friend is uh, the head of, one of the heads of HR at a company called Blizzard that develops video games. And he was telling me all the psychotherapy things they do for... Like they sit in certain seats to see where the candidate will sit, and like th- there's going to be some of that, but like that's kind of fun. <laughs> like, yeah,
2: that's, that's more fascinating than I laugh at. It's not spiritual manipulation.
1: No, uh, yeah, yeah, no, no. It's just trying to figure out if you're like it's like when you get a puppy and you want to figure out if it's aggressive or not.
2: Activision Blizzard just formed a union, so that's exciting.
1: You would know that. I don't, I know nothing about that world other than That it's down just the happened
2: today. That's so it just happened today.
1: Oh, that makes sense. Actually, now that you say that.
2: Or they, I heard the news today. So, uh, yeah, I, I think when it comes to interviews, I mean, I think a lot of pastors, like once you get to that point, like you're they don't know who, they don't know who they're dealing with.
1: No, you're good <laughs> at it.
2: You're good at it. And a lot of it is if you left your previous job traumatically, you really need to work on your language there, and you need to work on not wearing the pain of that on your shoulder in the interview moment, and that is. Hard. That is hard. You know, a lot of employers are not going to be interested necessarily, but you need to be ready for that to come up and you need to know what you're going to say. I can't remember exactly what I said because I was fired for being LGBTQ affirming. So most companies in America, they're going to look at you funny for being fired over that. Usually they're firing people for the opposite.
1: You actually may need to state because you're coming from a religious organization that you are open because some companies won't hire you with the belief that you're going to be the Jesus girl guy or sibling on staff.
2: Yeah. And I think that actually helped me in some ways in the job that I ended up getting, because I was able, you know, they asked me, you know, why did you leave your previous position? And I said, you know, I, I think I might've said something like, you know, I, I, I I mentioned being LGBTQ affirming. I do remember that. And I just said, you know, that was, you know, a stance that they, because it was a religious organization, they had certain policies in place and we decided to go different directions. So it's, yeah, I'm, I said it very generously or kind of vaguely in that. Yeah, that Um, was,
1: you just skimmed over that, but that's great wording. And,
2: and that, that's still honest, but it's like, they don't need your raw story. You know, I I think that is another thing that church world teaches you is like, jump out with that testimony. (laughs) Yeah. give them a ton of vulnerability up front. Don't do that. You know, just speak to them professionally, speak with them kindly and candidly. And I think you're going to be fine.
1: I think it's the resume part that is a hangout for a lot of people. You know, it's almost like I. it feels almost the same as a lot of my friends who took some time off to parent and then hop back in where it's like, well, how do I explain like I've only worked in religious institutions? And the truth is, I don't think you are going to have to explain as much as you think you are, because. You know, as much as we don't like to say church is a business, you know, I've run multi-million dollar organizations <laughs> and dealt with fund, you know, funders. I have, you know, done fundraising. I have done you've done it all, friends. And so it's really the other piece, and I think the piece that we'll probably hop into a whole nother episode on is just like, how do I figure out what I want to do next? And I think that's really important to say what I want to do next versus like what I'm gonna do forever. Because the truth is nobody's staying in the same company or job forever. I mean, some people are, but not – you don't – you're no longer a statistic anomaly.
2: You're really not. And – you don't even necessarily have to put anything about religion in your resume. You can say nonprofit. I mean, that's, you know, the, like my, uh, on my LinkedIn profile, I just was looking it up. I probably need to update some things. I actually lumped multiple church experiences and just into one entry. It said I was a nonprofit manager and public speaker. And, you know, I mean, truthful and honest about what I did, but that's vague enough. And I, I get, I think I've gotten more hits just saying I'm a manager than saying I was a pastor. That's just the world we live in. When people say pastor, you know, your your HR person could have been, you know, spiritually traumatized at one point. So you say you come out hot and heavy with, I was a senior pastor, that that might disqualify you. So walking that language back a little bit. And then when they get to know you, it's going to be great. You might have wonderful conversations and make a friend for life. But you need to understand getting your foot in the door is maybe going to require a little bit of creative thinking and and networking, which I know everyone hates that word, but most of the jobs I've gotten, I've gotten because I knew somebody.
1: Well, and I think that's being open to saying, hey, I'm, it is, I hate the use of coming out because I'm not trying to necessarily align it with the difficulty and experience of coming out LGBTQIA, but there is revealing that you no longer work want to work in religious spaces is actually really hard. I, I was at a memorial service this weekend, and they knew that I had been the son's pastor. And all of these dudes wanted to talk to me about, well, what do you do now? What is that? And it felt like it brought back so much pain of like, I don't want to explain to you that I had 16 years that were really hard. And now I'm trying to figure out who the hell I am. You don't get to be in that part of my life. You don't, you know, yes, I have a podcast about it, but like in that, in that moment, it just felt so accusatory. And so, so I think we have to work around what is the language that I feel comfortable sharing with people? What's the story I want to share with people? Who gets to hear the whole story? And I don't think the person who's interviewing you gets, gets the gets to hear the whole story
2: yeah and and they don't need to i think even working on a couple different versions of the story one for close friends people that are your your allies and the people that you know are your ride or dies and what are the what's the elevator pitch when someone says hey what you used to do you know, or tell us about your previous experience in, you know, the, the kind of bullet points. And I know it feels scripted, but, you know, again, view it as like a little mini sermon that you prepared ahead of time. And, you know, you need your five points in a poem to get through it. And, and that's okay. It is, it is, it is okay. And again, that's, that. those are your skills. That is what you're good at.
1: Yeah. You are not lost in this world. I think that's the thing is that I have to remind myself all the time, like, just because it doesn't look like how other people got here. Like for me, being an entrepreneur is very hard. It's very scary for me. I have had to uh, use the word yet in because what I'll do is I say I am not a business person. I'm not business minded. And then I say yet. Because the truth is I can learn most things. I'm quite bright. But I I negate myself in all of it because I'm so intimidated of that world. I Negotiations for me are the scariest thing in the world. And so like from speaking engagements to like even when I'm like first working with people that I'm coaching, I know that this is the way that I have to make a living. But you know how hard it is for me to tell people what a fee is to work with me? So hard, which is also why I have a nonprofit way where people that don't have to pay to work with me. But I know that I have to get paid to, to work with folks because I'm learning to value that. But I think there is so much work that we have to do internally to just go, I don't know how to do that yet.
2: That is, that's that's really good.
1: I've never been fired yet. <laughs> you know, like like all these sort of things of like, all the things that I used to think define me don't anymore. And there's so much potential in the yet. You know, I I have a friend who is just so good at their job and loves their job so much and makes so much money. And the reason I say that is this is someone who I had to have a very difficult conversation with when I was their boss <laughs> and say, You aren't getting things completed. And for them, that made them feel like, you know, terrible, right? And I said, we're going to have to go in a different direction with our structure and they will reflect that. And then I started looking around and thinking, what do I actually want to do? I was doing that job out of obligation. I was working at a church out of obligation. What do I actually want to do? And ended up applying for their dream job, getting it, having so much energy around it that they're now on the board of this huge firm. Like they... You have to give yourself space for the what you haven't imagined yet. And I, that's hard for me. That's been – this week has been really hard for me to believe that because I've always – you know, I've only ever worked in spaces where I was hustling all the time, but to let things come with ease. And so, yes, it's up to you to work on the resume, to kind of like do the work because then when the thing shows up, you're ready to be in it. And so – not negating your abilities, not negating the emotion around it, and then finding a community, whether it's revcovery Recovery Room or not, finding people that get it when you say, I'm not used to not being a top candidate. Because by the time you got a church interview, you were probably a top candidate. By the time you get an interview with a lot of companies, you might be one of 100.
2: It, it is humbling, too, as when there's it was a couple times where I got called in for an interview and I had that kind of church mindset, like, all right, this is my interview time. And then you go in to random corporate lobby and there's a non-descript, do- office. nondescript office, and there's dozens of people there. And you have to like, oh, okay, I guess we're like, and then how do you make small talk? Like, like you are my competitor.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh my <laughs> I gosh. Will cr-
2: I will crush you. <laughs> but, you know, would, would you also like to make small talk?
1: Okay. Um, I mean we should do a whole episode on how to talk to people. I mean we did wanna to, how to make friends.
2: I, I don't know that you and I might be the best people to do that. No, we might not be. <laughs> we could tell great stories of attempting to talk to people and it'll be it'll be good it'll be very good
1: introverted extroverts we yeah. should have a whole podcast about how people think we're extroverts
2: yeah people you, you assume that i enjoyed that oh wow wow
1: well, <laughs> i am gonna need to process that for several weeks
2: this is what we call in the neurodivergent world masking behaviors. <laughs>
1: I just watched this whole thing on ADHD. So both Justin and I have shared before, but if you're just becoming one of our listeners, we both are people who live with uh, neurodivergency. So I am ADHD and OCD. It's so far the diagnosis, they call it. Um, But I've been masking my entire life. And so because I did not get diagnosed till in my later 30s and because I've been quote unquote successful and because I'm actually socially somewhat appropriate, hopefully appropriate enough that I was a lead pastor. I don't know what I don't know, right? Like I have only ever known masking. I have only ever known feeling an ang- anxiousness behind every move I make. I I think there's this. I had this moment where I was watching this thing, and I was getting. It was a, a TED Talk again that someone sent me about what it's like to exist in the world of ADHD, and they were sending it to me, thinking I'd be like, "Oh my gosh, I feel so seen." But I was like, "I'm like that."
2: <laughs> I'm, yeah, you feel exposed, so yeah, I'm exposed like this sometimes. Is not
1: – because there's no cure, right? Like I forever will be thinking about 17 things at once. And although it might be a superpower, it's hard. And so setting up expectations for myself around, you're never going to feel like you nailed the to-do list. It doesn't matter what like all Stephen Covey and everyone's seven steps for success or whatever tell you, you you're you going to buy all the books and think that you're going to achieve it. And you're just, that's not how your brain works.
2: <laughs> I, I, I know this is not where this podcast started, but I feel like this is where we should land for sure. It's like, if you're neurodivergent, stop buying books written by <laughs> neurotypical people.
1: Oh, like, so good. Yeah.
2: Because, yeah, I you and I both, Sarah, could probably go through the graveyard of organizational books that <laughs> I devoured in this desperate attempt to basically be normal, I you know, and it, it doesn't work
1: typical divergent yeah, typical yeah. neurotypical whatever,
2: it's whatever. neurotypical uh, that's what i'm
1: like not typical not, not with
2: a lack of dopamine <laughs> chronic right. lack of dopamine or norepinephrine so i think there's just a lot of acceptance that you just have to have whether you're neurodivergent or not there's just a right. lot of acceptance you have to have like there's just things about me that are not normal and normal, unquote, and normal, quote, unquote, normal, but that make me me. And so I, I you got to find your own system. And yeah, I I have honestly, I've become much more productive seeking out sources that are ADHD friendly because it's, you it's, know, what, it's, yeah, we it's, should it's do wild. an
1: episode on that as a project manager. And then as someone who works in multiple streams, Um, I think, you know, both you and I have interesting ways that we manage ourselves like so I was just talking to someone who recently got diagnosed and they were saying well I've never used a calendar before and I was like oh I need you to understand there's like here are the think calendly is incredible it'll do your calendar for you because what we are famous for is not putting things like not being able to figure out when we can meet up with people, because we don't see time in the same way. I don't have that particular part. And again, being neurodivergent means we're even divergent from each other. So we're all trying to figure out what we are. And, you know, there's all that. But I think that's the biggest part of it is, when you are showing up for these things is managing your expectations, both of yourself and the people in the room, which is different than when you're doing that with a church job. You know, you can do it. I wish this episode could just be called You Can Do It.
2: You can. You can, you, can. You, you, you have, you have what you need in a lot of ways. It's already in your hand. It's already there. You just will have to creatively figure out ways to organize it in a way that people can see it. And that, and that's, that is a challenge for sure. It, it feels like an impossible Rubik's cube sometimes of like trying to shuffle all this stuff around. But if you are someone who was a pastor, you can do this. You know, there, there were so many demands on your time, And so many weird things you did and so many things you had to manage in impossible situations that in some ways the corporate world might seem relatively simple and easy. So much so that you might start a podcast on the side because you're bored. Um,
1: I would never (laughs) describe you as bored.
2: uh, No, I'm not. But I think you might find that you bring more to the table than you think you do. And and I think maybe someone needs to hear this. I'm not saying the Lord is saying it. I'm just saying I probably needed to hear it. You might have been in ministry as long as you were because you were hiding in some ways. by am all felt familiar, but you can be a lot more. And I think that, that uh, I want that for you. And I think that you deserve that for sure.
1: Yeah. And making sure that you, not every job is going to be your next defining thing, which is, you know, the unfortunately the the way not just church culture is but you know the world is what do you want to be when you grow up as if it's one thing right like hopefully we're changing a little bit of our language around that because it's really disappointing when that's not the thing you want to be forever but I thought I was ah whatever it might be instead of you are a person who happens to do that as a job and pastors really 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 we took that to heart and I'm having a tough time I mean just in this last week from funerals to weddings to all this sort of stuff it's like. I'm being kind of reminded of I used to serve a function within a community, and although I still serve that function in some ways, that isn't my defining thing, and I'm realizing how much I hid behind that. It was easy to say that people didn't choose me because I was a pastor. People didn't – whatever it might be. You're right. There is that hiding behind, and what does it look like to just show up as yourself and then be okay if that's not – it's like, you know, mutual – What's it called? Uh, Speed dating. You know, when you're on an interview, you're also deciding whether you want this job or not.
2: Yeah. And and do not be afraid if they're like, oh, we really want you. But you're like, "Mm, I don't like that. Mm -mm. You can say no. I've turned down jobs and it's it's actually kind of exhilarating. Um, You're going (laughs) to love it.
1: You know, I right after I left ministry, I was getting contacted by a broadcast and my whole like my dream is to have a TV show about redesign. Like it just is. And I haven't known how to even name that in the world. Like, you know, and people have said that to me, like we would love just to watch like and I love that. That's like my zone of genius. And so it was so funny right after I left ministry out of the blue, a someone who works for a pretty big network called and was like, or we want to tell the story of you working on this airstream." And I was I remember being like, this is God's next thing for me, you know. Now, mind you, I know what network television is like and I know that things get really hot and then they don't get picked up or green light it lit or all these sort of things like I know that world because so many of my friends are in it but it's so funny how I applied my feelings about getting a ministry job to like becoming a host of a tv show and finally I was going to do my dream and then they were like I never like literally I did on camera interviews I did all the things, guys. And I just thought, wow, what a cool, this is a three of me, right? What a cool story this is going to be, how I left my job and then the exact dream of my life showed up. And then I never heard from them again. After I'd worked so hard on like gathering an on-camera interview, like all that kind of stuff. And, and it probably was that the person who was working in that talent, you know, what do you call it? Acquisition 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 yeah. that's the word i was looking for talent acquisition no longer works there or the network had to uh they were no longer wanting to work on something about mobile living whatever it might be some sort of form came in that people didn't want that kind of show you just never know and i realized i had this like giant laugh with myself because i thought oh you did what you were doing before where you were making what you were doing your identity the story's still good whether or not you got the dream so we're proud of you Absolutely. keep going if you need help join the discord seriously they're they're smarter than we are and they're good at what they do mm-hmm. and the conversation has just been so great i mean i think once a day justin and i text each other about like this is the best community so thank you guys for joining that thank you for supporting us on patreon stick around for this week's poem anything else you want to say justin
2: no i think i'm good that was a very good way to end it
1: we did it guys
2: Hey friends, thanks for listening to another episode of Rev Covery. We hope that this episode about resumes has given you some practical tools as well as given you some ways to shift your mindset and shift your perspective on your life. In a lot of ways, your resume is this kind of summation of your professional life and that can be a tricky thing to have to reevaluate. And so hopefully this has been a helpful episode for you. If you want a little bit more help and a little bit more of a community around this, you can join our Discord community. Uh, the best way to find information about that is our patreon patreongot.com/revcovery and you can sign up there. If one-on-one coaching is something that you are interested in, uh, Sarah has made that available. you can reach out to her on Instagram or via her website. I will also be making that available in the coming months. If that's something that interests you, uh, please let us know. Normally we do a poem or a quote at the end of the episode, and interestingly enough there has not been a lot of epic poetry written about writing resumes. And there really hasn't been a lot of great quotes either that I came across simply because a lot of business jargon and kind of pumping you up stuff, and sometimes that's helpful. But in this moment, I think as we step into the unknown and we step into things that we maybe are not good at and we step into things that we don't necessarily want to do because they're new and they're scary. I want to just give a short piece of encouragement from John Green, who's an author and content creator. And when he is afraid, he tells himself this. He says, I just give myself permission to suck. I find this Hugely liberating. And I also find it hugely liberating when I give myself permission to just not be great at something and to stumble forward meaningfully and intentionally, but also knowing that it's not perfect. And there's going to be mistakes made and there's going to be lessons learned. I think in those moments that stretch us and pull us and where we have to give ourselves permission to not be perfect and not be great, I think. That is where the good stuff is. And so, as you step forward in whatever you're stepping forward into, give yourself permission to suck. I think you will find this mutually liberating. Thanks, my friends. Have a great week.